the idea of a city being the place of sin and you know it's las vegas but like it really it's like it's like it's like the liberals in the city <laughs> the people who are you know sex positive who are you know whatever that might be and being shown as being depraved and evil and you set them against the good wholesome single family home living people in boulder I don't know, man. It just it just rubs me the wrong way. Now that I'm a city dweller myself, it just I'm like I hate this thing in America, and it's a frustrating force. And I, you know, maybe it was less of a thing, um, you know, back in the day, and it was more novel for King to sort of set it up this way. But um, to me, it's playing into some of the worst elements of society, and. It was frustrating. I don't know. Don't like it. Deep reading of stuff, you're always going to find more than when you do sort of a surface level like entertainment read. And clearly that's what I did the first time because I think a lot of this is present in the book. And yeah. It's probably going to frustrate me when we get there. I live in a city too. And like, I, I don't know about you, but like I see myself as like a depraved, irredeemable, like... <laughs> Yeah. sex fiend uh did you see us we were in those little like orange pods back there just like fucking away exactly, um, exactly. episode 169 of the ink to film podcast where we read the book and then see the movie i'm james and i'm luke and this week we discuss the first five episodes of benjamin cavill's 2020 series the stand okay so here we are the adaptation the unadaptable adaptation um (laughs) it's been said the stand it's been Uh, adapted twice it has been adapted twice i i will be curious to see the 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 original at some point as a bonus episode because for sure i've heard things about it now up to this point Okay, the way that we're going to do this episode is we are going to give general thoughts, mostly non-spoiler, and then we're going to get into the filmmaker, in this case the showrunner, and some of the production stuff that went on with it into episode descriptions and just sort of talking about it episode by episode. And we did cover uh, the first two books of the... The book is is divided into three books, and we covered the first two over the last two episodes on the podcast. Um, So we will be making some book comparisons, I think, throughout, although we haven't finished the novel out yet. So that's also something to keep in mind. Yeah, still so much up in the air. I think we should start here by saying what what were your thoughts? You know, we just were coming off hot off the heels of our of our two books of reading in in the stand Uh novel. Um, what are you thinking so far? Like, what do you? Because I know there's a lot of uh, now that we've watched it, I've I've read some stuff online, and I want to know like, do you agree mm-hmm. with people in general? The consensus? I don't know if you've seen any of that stuff, but I don't know that I've seen a consensus, but I have sort of. Um, I can see where the wind's blowing. I can see what the temperature is. You know that kind of stuff. Um, also, there are a few episodes out we have not seen. We're only going up to episode five. So let me just back up a little bit and say that. Uh, I was very, very excited for this show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he- hearing early things about casting was exciting. You know, um, the show looks good. Um, I think it still has a good look to it. And uh, I-, I went into the first episode very excited. And honestly, I f- I felt like 
one or two episodes in, I was like, I don't get why people are having the really negative reactions. Not really negative, but it seems like very mixed. Lukewarm, I would say, yeah. Like, yeah, I, lukewarm. I and, people, and, yeah. And, I, and I thought like, okay, I can see that it's not like the greatest show, but I was enjoying it. I'm like having a good time, first few episodes. Um, I do think it starts to tail off as we, the further we went into the series, um, in my opinion at least, like uh, it started getting weaker. And the weaknesses of the later episodes in some ways compounds on some weaknesses even in the earlier episodes. Like I think they become worse over time. Um, I do think that as a book fan, um, I'm seeing a lot of frustration out there from people. And not just because obviously they made changes, like you're always going to have changes, but um, I think people just really wanted this to be like an out of the park adaptation Mm -hmm. that everybody loves. And that's just not what it is. Um, It's not to say it doesn't have good parts. It's not to say it doesn't have standout moments and performances and good decisions in the adaptation process. There are some um, we can talk about. So it's going to be kind of a mixed review for me, though. So I think it's going to be a lot of me pointing out things that didn't work for me, but then trying to find the things that did and make sure I highlight those as well. How about you? Yeah, I uh, I mean, I tend to agree with you. The I will say that I'm finding things to love in the show. There there are things that I really, really enjoy. Um, and I found myself like drawing some comparisons. So there's, there's two like things I want to set up as we go forward. So in this sort of like people people uh pandemics like people disappearing these sort of post-apocalyptic stories there's like two two um beacons that i kept thinking about and it's like you're walking dead and your leftovers and i think um oh yeah the idea of of a show like the leftovers is a lot of the trauma and a lot of the dealing with what's gone on and like how the world would would continue on versus it's not really a post-apocalypse but there's it's a post wild event that changes society for sure yeah yeah with with people basically you know disappearing from the face of the earth one way or mm-hmm. another uh so the this is this show is much more walking dead than it is leftovers in my opinion <laughs> that's the other beacon that i was going to point to is is walking dead so yeah. i think that this show i think what people wanted was they wanted to be able to like sit with the characters like you do in in king's novel and like see the effects of it over time and how it's changing them and a lot of the show feels like i love the parts that we're seeing that are that are like directly from the book that are are fun and i out some of the changes i'm i'm fine with and and i like but there it does feel like at times we're just blowing past bullet points that we needed to hit for the sake of the story and not really having time to like live in those moments i just yeah i felt like it was really the pacing is really weird and and to talk about the elephant in the room i i don't think it's a spoiler to say that it's not done in the same sort of linear, more linear fashion that King's novel is. It jumps yeah, all no, over it's the place. completely jumping around in, right. in time, yeah. Which is going to lose a lot of people almost right away. It's confu- I could see people coming into this and being confused and not able to follow it to an extent. Yeah, so that was my initial take too, was like the jumping around could be kind of confusing for people, but I also felt like, you know, people are pretty savvy when it comes to this stuff. They've seen it in a lot of stuff. They realize, okay, this is a flash forward. This is a flashback. Mm-hmm. So I think that ultimately isn't the problem with it that I had it, because at first, like the first episode or two, I was like, okay, I see what they're doing with the jumping around. I think there are things that are lost by doing it, but I think there are certain strengths you get. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously they felt like the things that they get is, was more important to them. Um, but the further the show goes on, the more I started to think it was a mistake. Um, and, that is, I think, for character development and for 
the breakdown of society, um, which, you know, following the events chronologically, it is a big, like, um, almost tidal shift in the world that you're along the ride for. Now, maybe you're jumping between different characters, but they're all experiencing the same shift at the same time. And then there is um, a loneliness to everybody's story as society breaks down around them. And a lot of that is lost because even though you see the substance of it, when it's not all happening at the same time and you already know where it's going, right? it, it just completely loses the uh, effect that that has. And then that, over time, starts to compound and affecting... Um, I don't know, just like how we feel about these characters. Yeah. I mean, the experience, uh, like I was, that, that gets back to what I was saying, like the experience of going through it, like you're saying, chronologically, to an extent, you, there, there's tension there. You don't know who's going to make it, who's going to be there. And, sh- yeah. you know, jumping ahead shows you that. And, you know, King did this in his novel a little bit. He jumped ahead to show us what happens with Cujo. And it is a little like a throwaway thing. Kojak. What did I say? (laughs) Cujo's his other. That's his other famous novel about a dog. So Kojak. Kojak. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Anyway, he Kojak is shown uh, to be alive in the in the novel. So like clearly like something some sort of sense of normalcy returns for for Kojak to grow old. Um, But. In this way, yeah, I think but that's you're... a very small flash forward by comparison to this entire series being chronologically out of order. Right, we're seeing all these characters in one place basically at at yeah. points, and you're like, okay, so we know where everything's going, um, and there's a certain tension that's lost, and like you said, like like going through all of the events at the same time has these characters you know they can they can over there can be events that overlap like when Stu and fran meet or something like that mm-hmm. sue fran and harold meet um but it, it, because of the way that they're doing it i know they wanted to focus on one character because they felt like that would be cleaner for people to understand their introduction their motivations and because that's basically it's like here's a larry episode here's a yeah. Stu episode they and do that's how they tend to do it. like two characters yeah right per episode at and, least and, early on it, was, it seemed like that was the and do, I understand like narratively how it could be easier to tell that story, but I think it's also not quite as interesting as and, and yeah. not seeing the actual meltdown of society in the way that it was described in the novel. I think you're also losing something there. I, and, and maybe there were steps that were being taken to be like, well, people have seen that before. Let's focus on on this, the society mm-hmm. and all that other stuff. But I do feel like that's some of the weaker stuff. Like, I feel like they, yeah. they kind of lose their footing in the I wonder. And I town. don't know how much you may have seen in this, but, you know, this show came out during COVID. And I think it's, you know, it, it's unfortunate for the world that COVID happened, <laughs> to put it mildly. It's a huge tragedy, and I know lots of people are struggling with it and continue to struggle with it, and we all do, right? And, you know, it's the elephant in the room, and, like, you can't avoid it. And I can't, um, like, it had to have affected this show's production. Now, I don't know where it came versus when the show came out, but the show was still in production or at least like post-production when COVID started happening, right? They, I think they just finished principal photography like days before everything shut yeah. down for COVID. So they had to have like tried, I, I, I can't imagine they they didn't try and, and fiddle with it to make it play better in, in a world with a, that's actually suffering a pandemic. And unfortunately, like a lot of it, you just kind of have to go for it because like that is that that is the story. Yeah. When you do that, though, you're losing something like I understand making it more palatable. Yeah. So I wonder if there were decisions made in the editing of like we don't want to focus too much on the 
on the the pandemic all at once. So maybe if we kind of spread it thin and and give you little pieces of it here or there, maybe it won't. I don't know. This is all speculation, but I'm just yeah. wondering if decisions were made after the pandemic hit that honestly might have negatively affected it. But I don't know. Maybe this was. Always I think the there's plan. no way. Yeah. When this show's coming out, there's no way that they're not thinking about it in many ways, and I'm sure that it, it influenced the way that this show is going to look. I don't think that you can. It's not going to be the scapegoat that the show is going to be perfect without it because yeah. I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are being Yo, being sure. done there's a lot that, to criticize were, beyond that right. for sure but I, I like I feel like and I know so far we've been very negative about it I started by saying I like this show and and I was surprised uh after reading the reviews and everything I was surprised that people were that adamant about it sort of being either lukewarm to bad and I think it part of it has to do with if you read the book maybe your your I don't know, because it's a double-edged sword. You might have the investment to be like, I like seeing this stuff. And then you might have the investment to being like, well, they're ruining the story that I want to be told exactly as Stephen King did. So mm-hmm. um, I, I was surprised at, like you mentioned, the production quality is there, the cast. Mm-hmm. I think the cast is is like a lot to write home about. I was I was yeah. really taking a lot, of, like, a lot of massive names and it felt like something yeah. that could... I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a different time or a different like sort of overseeing production body that this show, this show could have been sort of what I think a lot of people wanted to. And the potential of that is why I think people are so let down. It's like the potential of what the show could have been um, is maybe making people think that it's very bad. I, I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I'm going to I want to get into specifics because I'm still sort of formulating my opinion on the show overall. And I think I will be until the final episode. Um, But, you know, I have I have points for points against and and we can talk about it as we get into specific episodes. Um, But you you wanted to share some details about the behind the scenes stuff before we get into that. Yes. So so I mean, to start things out, the the showrunner in this case is Benjamin Cavill. But I do want to talk about when I talk about Benjamin Cavill, I want to talk about the development of this show. And everything that's gone on with it. And this is going to be... Yeah, it's, it, was a long, it was like a long history. Yeah, so bear with me. This is going to be a lot of information, but I promise you it's worth it because there's a lot, of, a lot of good stuff in here. Yeah. So in January 2011, it was announced that Warner Brothers Pictures and CBS Films were developing a feature-length film adaptation of Stephen King's 1978 novel, The Stand, which had previously been adapted as a 1994 miniseries. In 2011, David Yates, and sidebar, David Yates um, did a lot of the Harry Potter movies, a lot of the later Harry Potter movies. Okay was hired to direct with Steve Cloves writing the screenplay. They subsequently left the project with Yates, later explaining that he felt that it would work better as a miniseries. In mm-hmm. October 2011, Ben Affleck was named as the new director. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, in January 2012, David Kajganek was hired to write the screenplay. In an interview in November 2012, Affleck admitted that he was having difficulty with the adaptation. According to Kajganek, when he was hired, the plan was to make it a two-film adaptation. Kajnik claimed he finished the first draft of part one only for Warner Brothers to change their minds and change the project to a single film. He then scripted a one film version. In August 2013, Scott Cooper replaced Affleck as the director. In November 2013, Cooper left the project. Cooper later stated that he was unable to make the story fit into one film. Mm. On February 25th, 2014, Josh Boone was hired to write and direct the adaptation. He later revealed that he wanted Christian Bale to play Randall Flagg and Matthew McConaughey for the role of Stu Redman. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) By September 10th, 2014, the script had been completed and pre-production was underway. In November, Boone planned to split his adaptation into four 
full-length feature films in an effort to remain true wow. to, to the breadth of King's sprawling novel. And then in June 2015, Warner Brothers proposed an eight-part Showtime miniseries to set up the story, which would culminate in Josh Boone's films. However, in February 2016, The Stand Project was put on hold and the rights reverted to CBS Films. In September 2017, King talked of doing an extended TV series on Showtime or CBS All Access. On March 30th, 2018, it was reported that CBS All Access were redeveloping the project into a 10-hour limited series with Boone still attached to serve as director. In January 2019, a 10-hour limited series was ordered by CBS Television Studios to be broadcast on CBS All Access. The new production features Stephen King's son, Owen King, as a producer and writer, and a new ending written by Stephen King. The episode count was reduced to nine episodes after the writing process had finished. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's something we haven't even touched on. Apparently, King has written a new ending for this, which uh, works out for us with the way we're covering it. We're going to cover the, the third book and finish the book out next week. Um, which will then uh, lead us into this new ending for our final episode uh, on the show. So that's really mm -hmm. interesting. Man, it, I remember getting excited about, you know, Ben Affleck in 2011. Um, like, I have distinct memories of learning that news and, and getting hyped about it and hoping that it was going to happen. Um, this has just been a journey. Yeah, I can't I can't believe how many hands it's it's changed, you know, between it's 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 really something. It's, I, I, you know, and it tends to be unfortunate when things happen like that, because at some point somebody's going to want to force it out. And I'm not saying that this was necessarily forced out. Um, but I do think having these things, having so many hands in the pot can tend to have yeah. holdovers from other scripts, holdovers from well, other Well, I was wondering, like, so when that happens, is is the script getting passed along? Are, like, the versions of the scripts, is that something that the new writers are seeing? Or are they coming in cold and doing their own take, like, without looking at anything else? I don't think there's any set, there's no set rule, right? So they might be like, here's what we have, work off this, or they might be like, write something entirely new. There there was some something in that description where like new writers came on. I assume most of the time writers are going to want to do their own version. Um, but those producers or whoever's overseeing the project might have read the original script and been like, oh, yeah, we don't like yours quite as much. Want, yeah. Let's go back to the thing that we had in this past script. And so and and honestly, I I, I kind of feel like in the show something that it, that it needed and it could have could have really benefited from was one strong singular voice to sort of make decisions across the board and to like, Mm -hmm. put their foot down because it does almost feel like a by committee show a little bit um it feels like yeah, they're I hitting they're hitting the things they need to hit and like I, I think they felt like they had the cast in place to just sort of make the film based on what's in the novel and deviate deviate here and there sort of leave it up to the whole committee and everybody's decisions together um, to yeah. determine like what would what the final product of this would be and it just sort of feels like s similar to things we've seen before in a lot of ways mm -hmm. i agree it doesn't feel like there's there's like a driving creative force that's passionate about this book behind this show and instead it feels like a lot of different people who are you know interested and invested and and i'm sure there are people who are passionate about it but whoever those people are they're not given enough power maybe to like give it that singular focus so yeah i, I agree with that that take it, it's a tough thing to quantify but it does feel that way yeah so that's a little bit about the development and yeah so so just to mention benjamin cavill is technically the showrunner for this but josh boone still stayed on as like the 
the producer and he was the person who kind of had it for a while but ultimately benjamin cavill was the one who was listed as showrunner uh he and was I'm a writer what owen king's like role is in this this whole show because he obviously the son of stephen king like is he there to like keep it true to the books or like and what, what is his role is he a is he a stephen king liaison like is he there to like <laughs> yeah. Per, yeah like i i mean he's a writer and he uh, in his own right yeah and, and but and like on the show he's also a writer so i assume that he has good input I assume that he's actually able yeah. to to put have some say in what's going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, Stephen King wrote an episode, so there's some involvement there mm-hmm. as well. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know how much power he was given either, but... Which we know, like, can be both a good and a bad thing sometimes if, if a writer gets too involved in an adaptation. So yeah. it's tough to say. Um, Again, maybe, and like, who's to say that King didn't have some involvement and sort of like he's another voice thrown into that that mass yeah. of people trying to get this made? Um, it's just a, it's just such a tough thing to to get right and to to accomplish and to have it be to make a show is a miracle in the first place. It's just that's how it always is seen these movies and, mm-hmm. and shows. Like it's it's crazy that enough people can come together to get a product that's like watchable you know what i mean yeah. and this is i would say uh yeah. i like i, well, I enjoy especially it in these early episodes so yeah. you know yeah I'm, I'm excited to get into them so benjamin cavill just so we know he's he's known for his work on justified homeland um oh. seal team is a cbs show and then the stand is uh, he the showrunner in justified or he just like directed some episodes i think he's a writer i don't think he's the show a writer okay yeah. okay episode one is called the end a lethal weaponized strain of influenza known as Captain Trips is released, causing an apocalyptic pandemic that kills billions in weeks, yet a small number of people remain immune. Harold Lauder pines for his former babysitter, Franny Goldsmith. Both quickly lose their loved ones to the virus and appear to be the only survivors in their hometown of Ogunquit, Maine. After preventing Franny from committing suicide, Harold suggests that they leave to find others. Elsewhere, Stu Redman witnesses the death of Charles Campion, the man who was suddenly a Captain Trips's patient zero in Arnett, Texas. While all his friends die, Stu discovers he is immune and is taken in by medical authorities. The facility's staff ultimately succumbs to the disease and Redman is aided in escaping the facility by a sympathetic general. Months later in Boulder, Colorado, Harold helps his fellow survivors bury the numerous bodies while Stu and a very pregnant Franny are in love, regardless of their difference in age. Overcome with jealousy, Harold then schemes to murder the pair. In flashback, it is revealed that Campion was subtly manipulated into spreading the virus by the sinister Randall Flagg. So it's kind of funny because even that synopsis t- kind of puts it into better chronological order <laughs> than even the episode is. Yeah. Um, but this, this I think, is the strongest episode of the five we got. Um, it, it, it starts pretty well. Um, we get a heavy focus on Harold, which I was surprised mm-hmm. by. I, I did not expect that going into the show. Like, I thought he was going to be a major character, obviously, but I didn't think he'd be the opening character, you know, that you first sort of imprint on. Yeah. I mean, um, between our conversations, I felt really conflicted about Harold being sort of almost our protagonist character for the first episode. Yeah. Like, I was like, ooh, don't know how to feel <laughs> about this. But I will say, ONT, the portrayal is like, that guy's that guy is killing it as Harold. And um, yeah. something that I something that I realized, I just happened to put it chapter one on like the first it. And I was like mm-hmm. scrolling through because I think I saw that he was also in it. And I was like wondering who he was. was. He? Yeah. And so I went through and I was watching some of it again, which was a fun exercise on in itself. But um, he was the first kid who's like the teenage bully who goes missing. Patrick, oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think I think Patrick. I can't remember. Yeah, 100%. that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Sounds familiar. But oh, he's so yeah, he's OK. So he's, he's like one, one of the bullies. bullies. Yes. OK. Yeah, I can picture him now. Yeah, it was so weird. So he and, and he's doing this. He's doing this like very Stephen King character role. 
And I think he's mm-hmm. doing it well um, as Harold. Like, he's very creepy. Doesn't he kind of look like a young Stephen King? Like, something about him bit, yeah. looks like Stephen King. No, I'm totally on board with you. I think his performance might be the best of the show. Um, I, you know, I think he's great. And I was on the fence about him a little bit. Obviously, there's a lot of major changes to that character. Um, and it, there are maybe a few times where it goes a little bit far and gets a little bit hammy or, or ham-fisted, whatever you want to call it. Um, but most of that was in later episodes. Uh, here, I think he's really solid um, and, and and memorable. And um, yeah, I mean, you go through a journey with this character because you think he's the protagonist. You think he's the, the, the good guy you want to latch on to. And then, uh, yeah, he's slowly revealed to be a complete creep. Um, and I think they are making some funny sort of odd comparisons to Stephen King because there is a specific detail where he gets rejected mm-hmm. and then he like pins this letter up on a nail um, with a bunch of other rejection letters for his uh, his story, which I saw someone someone stopped and, and it was called Soulmate, apparently it was the name of the story that was getting rejected. Um, so there's some theories about it, like maybe being a, a, a post-apocalyptic story about him and Fran being together or something. And like this, this is his fantasy playing out. I don't know. But that specific detail about the nail is literally what Stephen King and on writing talks about doing himself. Like that is a Stephen King true to life story. Um, so I thought it was interesting that they give that detail to Harold of all people and, and essentially setting that similarity up, you know? Yeah. Which like, I, you know, I think it's interesting for people who know that kind of stuff. That's a nice little Easter Stephen King mythos Easter egg. But like, I don't know if the correlation is a great one for Stephen King, you know, like like him and, being. I like mean, Harold, he's I he's been correlated to a lot of creepy, weird writers over the time because he has a lot of creepy, weird writer characters. So yeah, true. <laughs> it makes sense that, you know, Harold's just another one. Right. What do what do we think about uh, James Marsden as Stu Redman? Yeah. So that's their other major character we get in this opening episode, essentially. Although Franny it, it, too, but she's she intersects with Harold's storyline, obviously. Um, I think he's pretty good. I, I I think Stu Redman in the book is also just kind of an everyman, which we talked about. Um, and because of that, like he's broadly likable. And they they brought in James Marsden, and he's broadly likable. He plays great looking, this like great looking, like leading man yeah, kind of person sure. that you would expect to see. Yeah, so he's pretty good. But like, it's tough for me to like say he's you know really shining in the role when I don't know how much meat there is there to do that with. Yeah. Like, there's not a lot of stuff to really work with what, it, for like really showing your chops. Well, I guess actor, to you know? to what did you think about his scenes like in the the holding cells and everything that were mm-hmm. keeping him, the other doctor who was there and they traveled. Honestly, and, good stuff. I like, yeah. and I like the doctor. They changed him a little bit. I mean, the guy in the book is also pretty, pretty personable and, and, you know, it's joking around a little bit with Stu and we get that again here. Um, the being trapped in the, in a medical facility and not knowing what's going on and like all the people around you dying, like very creepy in the book. And I think done pretty well here. Um, and then ultimately leads up to, you know, the, the J.K. Simmons cameo, which was which was pretty astounding. I also heard that maybe Brian Cranston was the voice of the president on the radio. Yeah, I pulled that in the episode. I was like, that's Brian Cranston. Really? Voice as wow. The president. Yeah, I, I pro- wasn't yeah. sure. So that also just goes to show me like how iconic this book is and how much they were able to get people who just wanted to be a part of it it sounds like to me because yeah. anytime you're getting cameos like that it's like usually it's just people want to be seems like every it. every episode there's somebody surprising that shows up in the show um mm, people okay. who you are recognizable that you've seen in other stuff before um yeah but yeah that was definitely uh, as as he walked up i was like i saw the back of his head and i was like is that jk simmons he turns around i was like 
Hot damn, that's J.K. Sure Simmons. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's uh, Star- Starkey, right, is the name of that character. Yeah. A little different than in the book, but honestly, a lot of the, like, gist of the character is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think he does a great job. It's a little kind of one-off. Um, there's also a few nods to the book throughout, like uh, the the radio broadcast where the guy ends up shooting himself. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of nods to things that we know happens in the book. Um, but, of course, you don't get nearly the detail you do right and and how about franny we should talk about franny for sure it's unclear that she's pregnant in this episode although later on we find out that she is so that's something they kind of keep keep on the back burner um although they she's later shown to be pregnant but you don't know that she is at the beginning anyway um, there was the moment she was going to tell her father something and it's like implied kind of thing but yeah well later you you know that that must have been what it was but at the time you probably don't i'm mostly positive on the character as portrayed in the show, I do think there's something, there's a little bit of her fire and like, um, I don't know. There's just something about Franny. I think maybe Franny's she's like always like laughing at inappropriate times in, in the book. Like there's just certain things you get from being in her head that really make her stand out as a like unique character that a little bit of that is missing in the show for me. I mean, Franny suffers. This character also suffers from what she suffered from in the in the book, which is sort of a lot of the women characters play second fiddle to the to the male characters in the story. Yep. So, yeah, her um, character, her her story is really kind of taken over by Harold here. Right. And then later by Stu. Um, yep. It's really wrapped up in that. Uh, she does have that. We'll talk about it when we get there. But she has like a, a fun thing with with Larry where the infiltration um, mm-hmm. at the at the uh, safe zone. But we'll get there. So, like you said, I think you, at the end of this first episode, I was I was pretty positive as well. I was like, "Wow, yeah. like I'm enjoying this. I'm excited to watch more of it." Um, they went there. I, w- I would say that with the with the gore, sort of like the people yeah, dying. The, um, what do you, yeah? What do you think of the look with the big the big sort of you know? This is a, a detail from the book: the neck swelling up and like all of the like tons of snot. Coming yeah, it's out, gross. Like, it's definitely gross. Snot. I was it, yeah. they went for for a CBS Alexis show. They went further than I thought they would. Um, yeah, I, I almost thought it was a hair much. Um, and I know that's all subjective. It just it, something about it. I don't know if there's something being done with like computer graphics or something to, to like make the necks look like how they do. But there's something about it that looks a little bit off to me. Like I would have liked for that to instead be all practical. And I'm sure at times it is. But um, I don't know. And then like just the the amount of snot. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it was just disgusting. really tough to look at. Yeah. And it, and, it, and it reminds me of a point I that, that came up a little bit more later on, too, is that, like, it feels like they're really trying to lean into, like, hey, this is Stephen King, remember? Master yeah. of Horror. Let's right. really horror it up. And it's, like, it's horrifying in and of itself. It doesn't necessarily need to be gross all the time. I don't know. I mean, it makes me wish. I, I just, yeah. Minor point. I would rather have seen them play up the horror earlier on with, like, a lot of the stuff that goes down in the, like, um showing the meltdown of society in the first episode and i yeah i get that they wanted us on board with the characters but i think there's a what way is, to, it, to juggle both yeah i don't know like I, part of me is like why didn't we just start with campion why didn't we just play it out chronological you know i, I they there there was like parallel story structures which i think they really liked playing with you know they liked showing our two main protagonists you know if you want to call them that you know harold and Stu, and how they're how their stories are parallel and where they both end up. We get a fl- we get a flash forward to the Boulder Free Zone before we even know what that is. Yeah, that's like this the first scene, right? Like I think the first so scene. You of know the show. that all these characters are going to wind up essentially in the same place and they're yeah. going to be okay. 
I just don't, I don't agree with the decision to do that. Yeah. I think people will look at that for a long time and say like, why, why do that? It, it just, yeah. I don't know. I, I can't wait to see the uh, edited version of this entire show where people put it in the chronological order that, that <laughs> King wanted it to be in. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. So here, Alexander Skarsgård is used very little. We see just mm-hmm. a, just a touch of him, but like, what was your initial thoughts on Randall Flagg, the look of Randall Flagg, and then also the dream sequences. Um, we're, we start getting a few of those here, um, and we see we see Whoopi Goldberg as Mother Abigail as well. Um, what were, what was your take on those two characters? I liked it. Like I I know people might look at it and be like, it's it looks like green screen in the background and all this, but I thought that that was a moment where I felt like they were going for it. I was like, they're doing which, the dream which sequence. moment in particular? Just when when they're in the dream sequences in like the sort of like like nighttime desert setting, and he walks mm-hmm. out during the dream sequences. Um, I guess I don't know if that necessarily happens in the first episode uh too many times but i think there is one with harold yeah yeah and then uh, like i thought that was fun like i was like the, at least they're go- like imagine if they cut the dreams or something like how yeah. how much that would diminish the character of randall flag and like i like I, the look of him i'm in i, I like alexander skarsgård and like he plays this kind of character a lot and and like it feels the same as something like uh what's his name from from true blood or or some of the other villain characters yeah. like that uh, I forgot the character's name. Though. It feels very like sexy, sexy, dark, like yeah. dangerous kind of thing. But I, but I do enjoy it. I like. I, I think it's been fun so far. And I, like I said, I like that they did the whole desert thing with the the neon lights and stuff in the background to sort of hint at like the Las Vegas aspects that we'll be what, building. What about up in Mother the show. Abigail? Oh, Mother Abigail. I don't know. I, I like Whoopi Goldberg. And I just don't know if Mother Abigail makes as much sense in this version of the story. I don't know. I'm still kind of undecided on on Mother Abigail, honestly. Yeah, I think she gets she actually she's one of the few characters who gets better later. I think when we see a little more of her, I liked it with with her and and Joe when we had the scene with her and Joe with the piano. Like some of that stuff works a lot better for me. Yeah, And, and I don't know something about the aging up they're trying to do. I think to make her appear much older than she is. Mm-hmm. Um, I know she's she's getting on, obviously, but like they're I think they're trying to make her look closer to, to the character in the book, and some of that just looks a little weird to me. I don't know if it's like a, a makeup thing or what. I'm I'm also on the fence about about this portrayal. Um, I like Whoopi Goldberg, you know, but right. I mean, I think strong casting choice. Yeah, I think strong casting choice. I just don't know if it's necessarily the best material yeah. um, for her. Right so. Now. The other thing I'll push back on a little bit, while I like the choice to keep the dream sequences in the narrative, because I think it's very important for what happens, um, with the decision to make it all out of order, they feel a little bit pointless. Because often it's like, I'm going to entice you to do this thing that like we know you do later, or we, I don't know, like sometimes, every now and then it gets rendered kind of pointless. But then also like, the more we return to the same desert set, Mm-hmm. with the same um flashing signs and the same like wolf you know creeping in the background like it it starts to get very repetitive and um it, it also is shot in a way that is too like clear to me for a dream sequence like there's not enough about it that says this is a dream instead it looks exactly the same as how everything else looks okay um which i know is an aesthetic decision people make but i would have liked something to it to signify this is a dream um, and then also just to make it a little more dreamlike and like shifting and weird. And instead it tends to be like, we're back in the dream set. 
Here right. we are. We're going to have another meeting with Randall Flagg. And the key word is set. Like like I said, it yep. does look like a set. It looks like they set up some big rocks and they put some lights there. And like uh, a that, good example like of that. when it worked was uh, the, the the first dream Stu has of Mother Abigail, where he looks over and it's like a window that we'd already seen in a different scene, and he crawls into it. Then he's in a like cornfield. Like that is cool. That is right. more of clearly a dream. Whereas, yeah, eventually it just becomes like we're hanging out in the desert with Randall again. Right. And then and then maybe characters like shock awake and you're like, oh, that, that indicates that it was a dream sequence kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm mixed yeah. about that. But yeah, I agree. I like Alexander Skarsgård. We can talk more about him when we get to episodes where he does more. So let's get into episode two. Episode two is Pocket Savior. Larry Underwood is a musician who is on the verge of success when Captain Trips hit, killing his mother and his former writing partner. In a now largely abandoned New York City, he meets Rita Blakemore and starts a relationship with her. They decide to leave, are attacked by stalkers who want Rita and escape into the sewers before eventually reaching the outskirts of the city. While traveling, Rita is overcome with hopelessness and commits suicide by overdosing on pills. Lloyd Henry, a career criminal, is arrested in Arizona after a botched robbery and ends up trapped in prison when Captain Trips takes over. Growing weaker and becoming delusional, he is visited by Flag, who promises to release him on the condition that he become his right-hand man. Months later, Larry arrives in Boulder alongside Nadine, Cross, and a child named Joe. Larry discovers that Mother Abigail, the leader of the community, has been looking for people to lead, and wants him to be one of the leaders alongside Stu and Ray Brentner. Nadine begins to have visions of Flag beckoning to her. So we get a bunch more characters. <laughs> um, I remember watching this episode with my wife and, and saying, well... We've only met like half the cast at best because there's a lot more major characters that still need to come. And they come in here. And for the most part, I thought this was another good episode. Um, I was still very positive about the show at this point um, and, you know, and enjoying it. So Larry, I think the, the choice to cast a black man to play Larry Underwood, I think was a good one. This show needed an injection of diversity badly, um, this story, because we talk about on our book episode, having Mother Abigail be the only prominent black character is highly problematic. Um, and I think it takes a little bit of the pressure off of that, a little bit of the focus off of that, which is you know badly needed. I also think the actor Joven Adepo, who plays Larry, is has been killing it. Like, I think he's one yeah, of my favorites. I agree. He's very good. Yeah, I, I will say they, they changed something fairly fundamental, in my opinion, about Larry Underwood. Um, and I'd be curious to know whether or not you think it was a good change. This character feels like he is self a little bit self-destructive. He's a little bit of a fuck up. However, he's fundamentally a likable person. Right. Um, that is not the Larry Underwood that we get in the book. Um, I think Larry Underwood is fundamentally selfish and unlikable in the book. And then he kind of goes on a journey and he changes. But I don't know if that is a like a deliberate decision or if that might just be the actor being a likable guy and like that kind of coming across on screen. Like it's tough for me to tell what, what what is causing that, but I just felt like this version of Larry isn't nearly the shithead Larry that we get in the book. I agree, yeah. I felt that in, in the episodes and I was like, there was a clear decision made to make him less hateable like i i you know i really disliked larry early on and in this case i was like oh yeah like he you know he has his demons as everybody does but larry in the book is like you're not supposed to like that character he's like racist and sexist and like all the like he he just and like i i 
selfish i think yeah. fundamentally selfish yeah selfish for sure and and like we get a section of that where he like has sex with the the cocktail waitress or whoever that is and mm-hmm. then and then she's like yeah, you know, right you're and then she's exactly and she says the the line his line though where she's like you're not a good guy or whatever and mm-hmm. um but it doesn't seem to haunt him in the way you know the, the way that it doesn't at least we haven't seen that right where it's this recurring thing that he's like struggling with yeah i know? think the motions of like the character the things that you need to know about the character are there they're just not as like fundamentally set up in his yeah. backstory it's a little bit underserved in the show right like they're not really they're not really diving into larry's journey as a character in my opinion um a lot of it's getting lost and sometimes it's getting lost in the shuffle of the outer order nature of these scenes mm-hmm. because he's a character that goes through fundamental changes from the time that he we meet him and when he arrives in the boulder free zone yet we're getting both moments at the same time when he's introduced yeah. So it's going to almost seem like a different character if they keep it or they have to sort of like shorten the distance between the two so that you you can I don't know not feel like something is fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what happened. I think they were like, "Yeah, let's just shorten the distance and and make him from the beginning to to this point is not that that removed." Right. Um, how about the change in, in making him go through the sewers instead of the tunnel? Ooh. So this was my first major red flag for this show. And maybe there was a few other more minor ones, but this was just a, a bad, a bad decision. Um, I did not like the sewer. It didn't make any sense to me. Why the hell would you go into the sewers of New York City and think that you're going to get anywhere with any success? Um, it was bizarre. Um, I know they were, like, running away from those guys, but there's, like, a million skyscrapers around you with a thousand places to go. Like, you could go anywhere but the sewers. It just it just made no sense. And then I felt like it was a poor shadow of the version of the Lincoln Tunnel scene, which we talked about in our book episodes. One of my favorite scenes in the entire book that has always stuck with me, one of the most terrifying moments of the books. And instead we get this, like hokey i don't know sewer scene that didn't even look like a real sewer to me it looked very much like a hollywood sewer and you know we get like a rat jump scare kind of thing and then we get some rats coming out of a like vision of his dead mother and i don't know man i i'm I, are you more positive on this scene no. than me or am I no no okay no you're right I, I i agree with that the um i was almost hoping because i felt like they hadn't set up and I don't want to say it's not it's not the filmmaking techniques or like the they they just weren't necessarily in the same tone as the scene that we get in the in the stands novel. And I was like, maybe we were just going to get this like great moment where it basically becomes something similar. And it never did. Like you said, it kind of just felt like he would turn a corner and it's this never ending sewer and it's yucky. And there's some there's some rats there. The tension that was built the not being able to see anything. He drops his phone rather than not having the, the lighter. Like, I, it just didn't have... It was well well lit. Well, well yeah. lit. The scene. Incredibly... That's what I was saying. Very Hollywood sewer. Like, there's like there's weird ambient lighting in this sewer. <laughs> right. And I just think, like, if we had gone with something really dark and actually, like, played with the unknown in the dark, uh, it could have been a lot more fun in terms and of... And this like, is a time wanted. where my criticism about the, the sort of how like monstrous they made people appear when they were ill. Um, I actually think this, this is is sort of underscores because if you don't make them so monstrous, you could really lean into that. Like this is the moment where the body horror really comes into play. If they're in the, in the Lincoln tunnel 
and he's like slowly discovering and stumbling onto bodies and then all of a sudden it's darkness and then you get, you see the horrific sights that Larry Underwood in the book sees as he's, craw- as he's crawling through the Lincoln Tunnel. Um, anyway, it, yeah. it just was lost and, and I thought it was, a, it was a sad and sorely missed scene. I agree. Let's, let's quickly talk about Rita. Yeah, Heather Graham. Surprised to see Heather Graham in this role. That's what I mean. Another like one, another cameo like J.K. Simmons, like another yeah. character that I Big another time actor. actor. Yeah, yeah. I thought that she she was basically almost exactly what I expected from her character from the book. Um, I thought their relationship. I thought they had good chemistry, she and yep. Larry. Um, and I thought that like it was believable. It's still kind of like feels like I needed a little more time with her to buy into the fact that she was willing to just like mm-hmm. jump to to you know ending her life but yeah so i i that was my main criticism of that character um i yeah let's back up first i like heather graham in this role i think there was like a certain mystique to her and her getting up and shooting the gun and that was all right from the book and like her and larry had chemistry you know maybe more than any other two characters i've seen together yeah um i really liked that and and then them like sort of watching the world end out their window i thought that was a good scene um but yeah i mean Part of it is starts out with their uh, their sort of falling out they have when he goes into the sewer. Again, just the whole scene doesn't work for me, and so that I think messes up that character moment. Um, and then the reason she departs from Hilary in the book is about how she is like almost like obsessed with the idea of him leaving her, and to where she gets like super paranoid about it and starts to kind of make it happen. Um, and I feel like we lose a lot of that in the show. And yeah. um, then there was a fundamental change. And that was she is not addicted to popping pills in the show. It's Larry who has all the drugs. Um, in the book, she's like constantly taking these pills. And he no- notes it a few times. He doesn't know what they are. He doesn't know how many she's taking. She makes jokes about it. And, you know, and. I think that like heavily foreshadows her overdosing later. And then, um, you know, Larry openly says like, he doesn't know whether or not it was suicide or an accident. And her mental state has deteriorated by that point where she's like, she like twisted her ankle and then had a bloody foot and was hiding it from him. Cause she didn't want him to leave. And like all this stuff, right? Like she really starts to like come apart by that moment. Um, to where it does kind of make sense, even though it is a shocking reveal when he wakes up in the in the tent with her. Um, all of that has changed. <laughs> yeah. And instead we get, it seems like they're happily reunited. They leave together and then kind of out of the blue, she has this like maudlin moment staring out at the rain. And then where she's like taking some of Larry's drugs and drinking some whiskey, it seems like. Yeah. And then she dies. Yeah, it's, it, it, you know, I think changing some, it, that's the thing. It's almost like a butterfly effect when adapting adapting things. Sometimes, like, when you change certain scenes, it can change, like, how the outcome of a certain character, because they're still going to follow along with what happens to Rita. But like you said, like, some of the changes make it sort of, you know, not have as much weight. So I, I yeah. agree with you on that. Um, another character in this episode, Lloyd, that we that we need to talk about Lloyd and his introduction, yep. the robbery and then um, being in, in prison, and then, yeah. you know, the fallout from Captain Tribbs. I would say pretty good. Not as, not quite what I was hoping for with a Lloyd character. I don't know, I don't know what it is, but, like, th- this version of Lloyd, I think, seems a little more childish and a little more naive, even though, like, Lloyd was definitely, like, you know, dumb <laughs> in the book. Um 
this version of him, I don't know. It's 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 a little bit off. It's, I'm not yeah. criticizing the performance. It's just like, and especially where this character goes, I guess. Um, I think really changes for me. But yeah, yeah, this version of Lloyd is pretty good. It's pretty yeah, good. I agree. I actually like the performance. I thought I thought it was like it was a fun twist on it. Like it's clearly not the same character from the book. Yeah. Um, but like the robbery, I don't think he actually kills anybody when we see the the convenience store go down. I think it's all it's all poke, right? Yeah, but does he kill somebody in the show? I don't remember. Uh, well, they've been on a killing spree together, and I think right. it, yeah, I think he does. I think he kills at least one person in, in, that that you're talking about in the book. Yeah, he kills at least one person. I'm pretty sure. Whereas this version, he he really was just taken along for a ride because he claims that he was it was all poke poke, but I think we know that's a lie when he says it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then him in the cell, like. Uh, you know he's everybody knows that he's on the front page of the news or whatever newspaper and then uh his cellmate they're they're in there and he's the tension of being in locked in the jail and everything and then the world ending being stuck in the jail and then having to eat a human um yeah which he didn't have to it really like only the main thing is you're thirsty but like i don't know how long was he really in there for i guess that's the other thing you lose is you don't get a really good a good sense of time in the show yeah um yeah, I mean, so far, I mean, it definitely, the character is definitely different. And once we get to some of the later episodes, it feels yeah. again like that butterfly he, effect because he they is make him sort of, more of like a boy who yeah. is like, just, I don't know, just very immature. And like the character of Lloyd in the book is much more dangerous once he starts to transform to me because it's like you, you eliminate some of the more ignorant parts of him and you replace it with something more cunning. Um, yeah. And then what's left is just all that danger that you had. Um, whereas here, I don't know, he like, he just becomes he does, like a goofball. Well, like he feels like less of a threat, ultimately. Like he yeah. doesn't seem like he's going to be that much of a threat. Um, Nadine is also introduced in this episode. But next episode, oh, yeah. I think a lot more of her stuff goes on. So I think we should talk about her then. Episode three is Blank Page. As a child, Nadine used a planchette and a Ouija board and contacted Flag, who promises to make her his queen. After Captain Trips, Nadine discovers Joe, and the two of them run into Larry, who has been following messages left behind by Harold. He reluctantly brings them along with him, and he bonds with Joe. Stu encounters Franny and Harold, with the latter distrustful of him. He parts ways with them and meets Glenn Bateman, who was who has painted Mother Abigail, whom the two of them have had visions of, as well as a very pregnant Franny. Nick Andrews, a deaf-mute temp worker, is attacked in a bar in Shoyo, Arkansas, and loses his eye. Flag beckons him, but he resists and instead follows Mother Abigail's directions. Later, he meets Tom Cullen, an illiterate man with learning disabilities. Months later, a man escapes being crucified in Las Vegas and ends up in Boulder, where Mother Abigail and her committee, consisting of Stu, Franny, Larry, Ray, Glenn, and Nick, learn to learn that he is a messenger from Flag, warning them of his impending rise. Nadine uses another planchette to contact Flag, who orders her to kill Mother Abigail and the committee. And that she is to begin by seducing Harold. Man, there's all there's like all this is a heavy mix episode for me of good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I let's start off with Nick. Um, both of ours, one of our favorite characters from the book, if, if mm-hmm. not our absolute favorite. I am not happy with Nick in the show. Um, I think we get hints of what the character is in the book, um, but his story is just so underserved. And I know that you're going to lose a lot of it because you're not in his head, but. I don't know, just he he is shown to be almost like inhuman when he's first introduced. Like he's so devoted to Mother Abigail. 
our first impression of him is this like acolyte um, who is almost like saintly and to jump to that without seeing the introduction is really tough. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the introduction is so fast. We get none of the details of the town. He just goes from a bar to waking up in a hospital and Captain Trips has killed everybody and we're in it. And all of the buildup of Nick's story is lost. Yeah, I, I hate this version of Nick. I hate it. This is probably the yeah. thing that I that I'm most upset about in the show. Um, and most of the other stuff have been like small gripes, like things that I can deal with, things that are changed. But it's a TV series and it feels mm-hmm. like a TV series. Like I think a lot of people wanted to, to transcend and become this like, you know, huge piece of media that everybody can point to. But it's clearly it's it's not it's probably not going to be that. But this is a huge this is the biggest overstep to me because He's the best character in the novel. And like they didn't even take the time to properly set it up. Um, like you said, the like another reason why all this out of order stuff doesn't make sense is because when we meet Nick, it's like he's in this weird role and, and like it just doesn't make as much sense for him, his character. I, you lose so much of the humanity of the character, so much of like and, and I, I know that you're saying like I agree with you because like we're not in his head, but there are things you could have done to still make him the best character in the show. And they should have, yeah. in my opinion. And uh, I, I just want to co-sign with everything I've seen where people were calling for um, a actual deaf char- uh, actor to play this role because there are so few roles in media for a deaf actor to play. You know, there's so few. And this is a time where we have an iconic character who is deaf. And this was an opportunity to cast someone who, who is also deaf and, and not just for the representation, but for the reality. Like, I think they would have brought something to the role that would have felt more authentic. And immediately showing this guy speak and interact with Mother Abigail in that dream sequence, it really shows that it is someone doing a performance, and it undercuts the power of that of that um, character, right? Like, yeah. that... that disability he's been having to deal with because you know that this guy doesn't actually have it yeah and and i mean i i agree with you because like you said this is an opportunity where you could have had the best possible performance of a of an actor because they live that experience they know the mannerisms they know the things that that someone takes to live a day-to-day life um in this scenario you know and um I agree with that. Let's talk about Glenn Bateman, though, because I am loving Greg Kinnear in this role. He's one of my favorites. Like, I I really like this character in the book. This, like, vaping uh, version of this guy uh, I think is very fun in the show. Um, My only frustration with him is that at times when they should have just had him say shit right out of the book, they decided to change it for no apparent reason um, into, like, a lesser version of the thing he says in the book. I'm thinking specifically when he gives the speech about, you know, two men, three men, you know, the three, you get a society for, you know, they take that and they, they do half of the quote and then they butcher the second half of it and they completely change it into something that's less good. So there's, there's times where I'm like, just, you know, this is a very important moment. Just go with it. Just, just lean into the source material. Yeah. I liked, uh, I like Glenn Bateman as well. And, and Greg Kinnear as Glenn Bateman is like, that's another, like another surprising person that shows up and you're like, oh my God, Greg Kinnear. And he kills it. He's awesome in the role. Um, he's funny. He's got good, good chemistry with, uh, he actually brings, I think more out of Marsden when they're together, like they play off each other. Well, agreed. One of the bigger things from this is, um, Nadine and the introduction of Nadine and yeah and her whole backstory. Amber Heard. So do we want to talk about her at all? <laughs> that's what. Yeah, that's that. So 
I feel like I don't know enough about this, but like she is a controversial figure. Let's just say that. But but um, like I mean I think we have to talk about it. Like there. Yeah, we got to. I I also don't know all the details. Yeah. Um. All I know is her and Johnny Depp have had a long, sorted, you know, dramatic history. I've heard violent at times. I've oh absolutely like abusive, toxic relationship. Um. I have heard that it is like. It was all Johnny Depp for a while, but then, like, I felt like I started hearing stuff that, like, she was actually the one who was, you know, at fault for a lot of this stuff. And and there was, like, evidence that she had lied about shit or, like, you know, manipulated the truth. And then I saw some stuff about how she had, like, said she was going to give all of her, like, money that she got in their, like, lawsuit. um, Her, her, like, lawsuit against Johnny Depp. She was going to give it to a charity, like, millions of dollars. And then, like, she hasn't. And like all this stuff, like like that is, I don't know. There's just all kinds of sordid stuff going on, and I know a lot of people really dislike her. Right. Um, and the only thing I'll say is because I I don't know. The only thing I'll say is that it brings an interesting element to the performance because at first I didn't know who it was and I had to look it up and I was like, oh, that's Amber Heard because I'd heard of her, but like I, I'm not like I didn't really follow it. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, okay, well that adds an interesting dimension to this performance because Nadine is a character that has something dark going on and, um, you know, is not what she appears on the surface. Um, so I don't know. I felt like in that sense, this role kind of weirdly works. Not saying yeah. I like the person, but I don't know if they did it know. on purpose or not, but I agree. Like yeah. I, I remember like when she showed up, I was like, wait, like, isn't, isn't there like, I just didn't even think she was castable at this point. I thought that it was like sort of a bad situation, and yeah. like it, it just like uh, and so like seeing her in this role, I was like, I think this was somewhat before that, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I literally don't know enough about it. I've just and, and it feels like tabloidy stuff sometimes too, and you don't know yeah. what to trust. So it feels weird to be making judgments on it, but it doesn't seem healthy, and it seems like both parties have something. I don't know. To me, yeah, it seems both like, parties seem like they they are at fault. <laughs> like they did some bad shit, but it also uh, yeah. seems like one of those relationships that just turned like incredibly toxic. And yeah, I don't know. Man. So yeah. I don't want to make excuses for anybody though, because it seems like some of the details I've heard about it seem just really damning. Right. And seeing her here was surprising. Um, in terms of yeah. the character, you're right. Like it does give a sort of dark backstory, dark underlying like subtext to the, some of the stuff that's going on. And you're like, yeah, uh, was this on purpose? Like you said, maybe it was before. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm like in terms of the performance, like I, I think she's doing a pretty decent job so far. Like she's she's like it feels weird for me to like be seeing we her have to in separate this- it, man. You have yeah. to separate it from the actor. I, I don't know. Because her, 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 like you said, this character has a lot hidden, uh, mysterious, potentially dark ties, and and um, yeah, very interesting. And then like sexual manipulation, and and like um, with mm-hmm. with Harold and some of that stuff that goes on, and toxic relationships with with uh, Flag. So a lot of that stuff is was wild. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know how else to put, uh, put a pin in that for now because I don't know how else to address that character yeah, there's well, actually a lot more with nadine in episode four so i'm gonna hold off a little bit and talk about it there um this is the introduction of of tom cullen right right um we only get a little bit um again this is another time where there's definitely a person playing something that they're not right um and that and that's difficult um th- it, i don't know it, he, i like tom cullen in the book i like the character he's a good guy and I think it is, there's this very sweet relationship that forms between him and Nick. Um, 
that is underserved, I think, in the show. Mm -hmm. We just, you know, obviously this is just the introduction of the character, but like, I don't know. I just, I missed, I missed some of that. And and it felt like it was sort of fast tracked and it didn't, because of that, it didn't work as well. I guess, yeah, I want to address the fact that like, there are some problematic things from the book that we talked about that were maybe at the time not as you know, were, were maybe more normalized or something. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and like, so for us to get this character here, I think that Brad Henke, who's playing Tom, it's a good performance. But I also at times worry that it's almost like laughing, like like jokes are being made or exp- at the expense of someone who has a similar you know situation they're they're similarly um affected by by something like this and i like i i don't i don't know enough about how they're towing the line it feels pretty pure to me like it feels like i think they're trying to do the right thing here but also i don't know because at times it felt like it was funny that he was repeating things and um the way that he was like you know the 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 repeated uh phrase that he's saying to everyone and the way that that's played for laughs in Vegas and some other stuff um i don't know you know i don't know if it's done well or yeah. not but i think the character is it's a little it makes me squirm a little bit when i'm seeing it so i know that seems to be a sign that maybe it's not quite right but it's not it's not i don't know who am i to say but i wasn't like gravely offended by it but i'm not the person who would be either, right so. which is it just feels very tough to navigate a lot of these characters and, and people involved in some of the stuff but you know i yeah. i don't blame i don't put it on the actor really like i don't feel like i think the actor is like doing the best they can with what the role they've been given but i don't know if i would personally take the role um you know yeah. I, it just seems tough to navigate um but let us know i don't know if you're if you're more close to something like this let us know if it's offensive or not or you know if it, if it works, you know. I'd be curious to hear. All right, the next episode is called The House of the Dead. On the road together, Harold confesses his feelings to Franny, but she rejects him. They are ambushed by a serial rapist keeping women captive who chains Franny up and brutally beats Harold. Stu and Glenn arrive, having followed Harold's signs, and a firefight breaks out. Dana Jurgens, one of the serial rapist's captives, kills him with a crowbar. Stu explains the dreams and paintings to Franny, who agrees to travel to Boulder along with a reluctant Harold. Nick and Tom, also traveling to Boulder, encounter an unstable woman named Julie Lowry, who kisses Nick but begins ridiculing Tom's mental handicap, leading a disillusioned Nick to abandon her. She shoots at the two men with a shotgun as they depart and Tom saves Nick's life. In Boulder, the committee votes to send three spies across the mountains to identify the threat from Flag, made by Drogon. Franny nominates Dana Jurgens, with whom she has formed a bond. Larry nominates Judge Ferris, the oldest member of the community, and Glenn nominates Tom Cullen. Nadine approaches Harold and quickly seduces him, convincing him to help her fulfill Flagg's orders by killing Mother Abigail and the committee. Harold devises a plan to use avalanche control explosives. While taking the explosives from the outskirts of town, they are spotted together by Teddy Wyzak, Harold's friend and partner on the body crew. Nadine shoots Wyzak dead to cover their tracks, and he dies in Harold's arms. Okay, so I want to weigh in a little bit more on Nadine here, because we're getting more of her story. Um, I think they did a fundamental change to the character, which is 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 giving me some difficulty. And that's, they made her bought in on the idea of um, Flag. Randall Flagg right. being, being sort of Flagg's destined queen. She she seems like she's a hundred percent on board. She has the stone already. She was given it as as a kid, and um, is like fully in his pocket. 
And then later on, they try, I think especially next episode, they try and sort of backtrack it and give her some doubts. And that just didn't work as well for me as a character who was more fundamentally on the fence all the way up to a point in which she decides, unfortunately, to go the wrong direction. (laughs) Um, So it's weird almost to see her as like, the show is trying to tell us that she isn't a full-blown villain, but everything we see tells us that she is a full-blown villain and she's just hiding it, just like Harold, I guess. Um, And it's only later where we see her have some doubts, but for what we see for the longest time, she doesn't seem to be doubting anything. Yeah, why would she even be with the kid at all? Which, like, Mother Abigail says that later. She says, you did have a choice and all that. So, it, it, But it, 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 we had spent so much time with her already, it felt like they were trying to almost retcon it. Like, they're trying to like introduce, like, oh, maybe you were not as bad as you thought. I don't know. It's a choice, and I see why they did it. But It also feels out of order. A lot of this, it just tends, and it's not even necessarily that. Like, if they had built up the fact that she likes this kid and is willing to take care of this kid, and then somehow then built to her, being into the being into the whole flag thing it would have played like obviously like it did in the novel and it would be more consistent but here it's like you said almost like retconning to say like yeah remember you care about this kid even though you're being seduced to the dark side basically (laughs) um okay so a few other things let's talk about the 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 showdown on the highway um, this one guy has has several women, and they have this. Uh, he has this like beat down he's doing of Harold, um, and then Stu sort of comes in like a you know white knight to to save the day. Uh, Stu and Glenn, um, although it is it is Dana who ends up getting the upper hand, but um, similar to what we get in the book, I thought actually a pretty good scene. I'm, I'm going to give him credit. Um, it is simplified and actually less wild than what we get in the book less dark um this is a whole group in the book whereas it's reduced to one guy and the shootout is even less violent in in the show than it is in the book which is you know a lot bloodier yeah i mean i didn't yeah this this scene played out pretty pretty well for me like i didn't have any complaints with it 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 was almost exactly what was in the book so for me i was just like okay no, I, I agree with that. Like I said, mostly good. Um, you know, this this is a standout moment from this episode for sure. Um, I also, there was a fun moment where uh, they, they look at a, a, a Blu-ray of, I believe it's Skyscraper, and they have this yeah. moment where they go, do you think The Rock's alive? And yeah. I love that part. And then I was going to ask you, do you think we're going to get a, a Dwayne Johnson cameo. Uh, cameo at some point later in the show? I doubt it. I, I thought <laughs> The it was final so... episode, we're going to see The Rock show? <laughs> I was so surprised. Of Like, I don't know. It... it... That seems like a throwaway reference to like I get the yeah. rock joke is funny. It probably is, but it was funny. No, no, no. But what I mean is like if I if it's me, I'm going to put like something like, you know, I don't know, put put another like apocalypse movie in that situation. So I guess that is kind of skyscrapers like a earthquake kind of thing it. or like I thought is it was it? like Die Hard okay. kind of thing. No, I'm thinking of San I thought so, too, but I don't know. so it's just weird. Like I would have done another. It was just for the joke, man. <laughs> they just wanted to make the rock joke. I know, but make the reference of like we're we're doing apocalyptic fiction. Let's let's reference something we like. You know. Yeah. Uh, what about the Tom Cruise? We didn't mention that. Like I, I thought it was actually kind of funny how how Harold like has this picture of Tom Cruise like pointing and smiling that he like practices in the mirror all yeah. the time. Funny and, and creepy and, and yeah, all of those yeah. things. And yeah, Tom Cruise is kind it of. It just a reminds guy. me of like Tom Cruise showing up in American Psycho when we covered that book. Yeah. 
and I don't know. He just has this. He has this reputation, and I know he's he's kind of a weird guy in in real life, so it makes sense. But like anyway, um, we get the the cameo Stephen King and the yep. Hemingfern Home uh, poster. Um, I, I definitely stopped it and, and had to take a picture. I think I uploaded it to Instagram. I, I, most people probably saw it. If you know what Stephen King looks like, he kind of jumps out when when it goes by. But um, I thought it was fun. It was an interesting way to do a cameo where he's like in the image they're looking at instead of like actually showing up. Yeah, it was funny. And and it literally just looked like a Photoshop in, image. I don't even think he had to come to set or anything like that. <laughs> probably. So... <laughs> Um, we get, uh, we get a, we get a fun moment with Larry where he's like playing guitar up in the rain and it felt very Jimi Hendrix to me. I think they were referencing that he's playing the Star Spangled Banner, I think. Um, and it does really set up like the idea of the Boulder Free Zone as being very like quote unquote American. Mm -hmm. Um, and I I was noticing that like everybody seems to live in these like single family homes and, uh, (laughs) I don't know. There's, there's some interesting themes that come into play, especially with where we're going next, and the next episode um, where they're setting up Boulder to be like wholesome kind of traditional American values. And then you're, you're setting up Las Vegas, which is, you know, the opposite, which we'll, <laughs> which we'll get into anything left for this episode before we get into episode five. Yeah. I do want to talk about the decision to send people uh, to send oh, the spies yeah. and like the decision to send Tom in this version is made by Glenn which I made me yep. like Glenn less because he doesn't have a relationship with Tom to make that decision. Whereas Nick did in the book. Yeah, um, and it agreed. made me mad that like Nick didn't have a, you know, I don't know. It just was a whole, like, I, I didn't yeah, like the decision in the to book, change it like The that. only reason that we are even remotely on board with the plan is because it was Nick who right. suggests it. Right. Like no other, I feel like any other character suggests that and you're like, what the fuck? And I ag- agree. They give it to Glenn here, which makes no sense. Yeah. Um, and then also, uh, uh, I, I noticed that um, Dana, um, when they're when they're giving her the, the sort of news, she does that tropey thing where she like lists all the crazy stuff that they want her to do, and then at the end goes, "I'm in," and I'm like, "I come on, come on." Yeah, <laughs> I roll my eyes at that. I, I just like such like it's like the trope to do in that situation. Like do something, yep. just say yes. Just be like, you, like, you know, you don't have to do the list. Just be like, I'm in right away. Like something like that. It's, I don't, there's something better you can do there. And that isn't it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, uh, I guess we didn't talk that much about Harold and, and Nadine at this point, like where they're at with, um, yeah, they're together. Weird relationship. Um, doesn't seem quite as uh, <laughs> intense as it is in in the, in the book, but maybe it's going on and we just don't see it. I yeah, don't know. I think that's the that's the idea behind it in the show. Uh, and then ultimately, yeah, Nadine kills Harold's friend, which I thought was a nice addition. Thought it was a cool addition because that does you know his one link yeah. to the human Teddy. world. The, I think Teddy is humanity. a character in the book, but I feel like they've they've made they've made him more prominent here. Right, and and killing him in that way and having him be his only yeah. kind of his only human. That's his attachment to humanity in this new world. And it kind of fills in a plot hole, which I should we should have you know maybe talked about more in the last episode of like how he gets dynamite, like you know what I mean, like how he's able to make this bomb. I guess. Um, here they they get it from the the sort of blasting crew like or blasting stuff they do for avalanches i don't know i mean i people make mixed bombs in their freaking basements in real life so it's not that big of a plot hole but they make it it's a little cleaner here i think and he does give off those like fucking school shooter vibes doesn't he a (laughs) hundred percent harold like that's one of the things that he does really he continues to do well yeah 
so episode five, the last one we covered, Fear and Loathing in New Vegas. And every time I hear New Vegas, I think of Fallout. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dana, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Until you just... Dana arrives in New Vegas and plans to work her way up to meeting Flag. She ends up working for Lloyd, who takes her in as an arm girl. She learns that Tom is also there and gives him a note telling him to run, but he cannot read it. Dana finally meets Flag, who reveals that he knows why she's there and plans to let her go on the condition that she reveal who the third spy is. After a failed attempt to kill him, Dana kills herself to avoid revealing any secrets. Harold is haunted by Teddy's death, but is invited by Franny to have dinner with her and Stu. The dinner is a ploy so that Larry can break into Harold's house and snoop around as requested by Franny, since she has grown suspicious of him. Larry searches the entire house and finds Nadine's shirt, arousing his suspicion. Nadine is becoming worried for Joe and visits Larry in an effort to sleep with him, thus freeing herself from Flag. But Larry doesn't want her first time to be like that, and coupled with the fact that he is busy with the plan, he turns her away. The dinner is nice but becomes awkward when Harold points out that Franny does not remember anything about their time together before the pandemic. Harold arrives home just as Larry leaves the house. However, Harold suspected a plot and set up surveillance cameras in his home, catching Larry in the act. Mother Abigail is upset about the committee sending spies and prays to God for advice, only to be attacked by Flag in his wolf form. Ray arrives at her house to discover that she has left a note saying that she has left. New Vegas. Do you want to start there? Yeah. Yeah. So I think I've I've hinted that I really, really dislike the way this is shown. Um, okay. So in defense of this portrayal, Vegas is definitely set up to be the city of sin where people are having sex and having a good time, gambling, there's violence, whatever. Um, that is right out of the book. And it's um, it's set up to be this counterpoint to Boulder. But they lean into it so heavily that they make Vegas, I don't even, it's it's like a, a fever dream of something. It's the, and, and then it's also like, it's gross the way that they are trying to sort of like say, hey, look how debauched this is, but also in that fucking hot. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I always like it was that what, you know, it's like a cognitive dissonance in the in the show itself because it's trying to portray it as as wrong. Yet it's like glorifying it and lingering on it. And, you know, eventually we see the scene where Dana's like wearing this lingerie and like the way the camera is just like going over her body and i don't know man it, it just felt like and, and in the background you see all these like backlit scenes of people just fucking like in all the different rooms yeah. and there's people having sex in the elevators and like it's just it gets so bonkers and it feels like a completely different show weirdly like it tonally dr- dramatically different i don't know man i just it just i didn't like it <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand the need to do this much setting up of this area. Like, I guess maybe eventually, because I, I haven't seen that part of the book yet or read that part yeah, of the book. Yeah, we haven't yet. got there in the book. Yet. But, but I'll be, like, I'll be very interested because it's been a long time since I've read it. So I'm really curious to know, like, what, what are details that, that are in the book? I, I assume some of this stuff's hinted at, and then they've taken it and run with it. You're gonna you're gonna be sorely mistaken when when the book is like, and then they're totally fucking with the with the lights, you know, shining. Oh, I'm sure there the are silhouette. people fucking. Let's just say that because uh, we know that this is a very horny book, as we've recounted. This I, I didn't understand that the the time spent there, 
but again, haven't read this, the last part of the book yet. Uh, the little Mad Max th- dome that we have, Thunderdome that we have going on. Where yeah, with like, the, with that with that person, like he's like the announcer. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's so over the top. For sure. I don't know, man. It does feel very Mad Max. A lot of it's like um, sex. Like there's just like everything sex related. Uh, this is where like, yeah, I felt like Lloyd as a character felt weird. Like yeah. there's no like. This version of Lloyd is not scary to me. No threat. This version is yeah. a complete doofus. Right. No threat. Just represents sort of just uh, he has this position of power that he like you said, he does what a teenager would do in the situation almost. Yep. Um. And like is so happy when he's like shouted out for a little bit. Um, the stuff mm-hmm. with with Flag is the best stuff in this section, I would say. Yeah, I uh, agree. His interaction with Dana, uh, he's scary. When he's he intimidating. when he stares at her, yeah, in, in the screen, that was cool. That was creepy. Yeah, I like that. The uh, he's intimidating. Skarsgård does a mm-hmm. great job of making him intimidating. You know, getting up from the blow to the neck uh, was like holy shit. Because like I haven't seen him yeah. do anything like that in the in the book. That was yet. cool. So yeah. that was cool. I liked I liked the thing where he was like kind of made it like an acting thing. He's like, oh, I was just playing off of what you were giving me. And I like, thought that was very like, meta too. That. It was really meta for yeah. an actor to give that that line where he's like talking about like basically theory of acting and stuff. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I was feeding off of what you were giving me. And so it was awesome. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Uh, I agree. I like I like Skarsgård for the most part. Um, I, I do think at times... I don't know. Maybe it's just the I just have like a visceral dislike of the little weird thing manipulation they keep doing of the smiley face. Oh, I really yeah. don't like that. Where they make the smiley face like have this like V of a smile and the eyes get all yeah. looking. I guess I never it even really. It kind of just went me. like it was weird to me that that kept happening because I didn't really think that that was something that I think that was like a show invention. I think, it's and a I was show wondering yeah. like what it's supposed to represent like i get that he's evil you don't need to keep showing he's evil i guess face, it, I it, it doesn't represent anything it's yeah. dumb <laughs> um yeah, i don't know it, that doesn't necessarily bother me with the character he uh i do think it's a notable thing that he's playing flag and his brother plays pennywise yeah you know? that is kind of fun right? that's kind of fun yeah that's a good point i didn't even think about that you're totally right so in this episode we also get the parallel investigations right where um, Harold goes over to the dinner party and then he starts wandering around in um, Franny's house with Stu and creeping into their bedroom. And at the same time, we're getting Larry at her at his place creeping around and looking. Um, but it also diverges a lot from the book and like what actually goes down. There is no diary, um, at least that we've seen. Um, we haven't he hasn't he hasn't found that um, Franny doesn't know in that sense you know, because she she has been suspecting about the diary and the book, and that whole plot line is essentially changed into this. Um, what did you think of of these? I I did think it was fun the way they were trying to make these like scenes play off of each other and be kind of mirror images of each other. Yeah, you actually just made me think of one thing. This whole like surveillance camera situation. It was enough in the scene to where he realizes that the chess pieces had fallen over when Larry leaves that everyone knew that he he understood but then they had they went and showed us that he has like surveillance camera set up and he had video of it and stuff and i was like why why and how would he have done this and like how makes no (laughs) sense um i wanted to ask you is there any way you can think of for him to get the footage from one house to another when there is definitely no internet bluetooth can bluetooth reach that far no not like that i don't think um i mean there he's not running a cable yeah <laughs> not not so i don't know how he's watching this live footage through his nanny cam without access to the internet seems like a big plot hole to me but 
What do I know? Yeah. Maybe there's I mean, a way there to are do like there. there's definitely ways to send signals to monitors. Like there are frequencies that you can send to like a monitor. So if he had like yeah, but it's not like you can't. It's not just a little tiny camera, and then it transmits that you to can put inside a of monitor. a teddy bear. There are ways to do it for sure. Um, yeah, but he's not using them. So no, there's no way. Very weird. Anyway, yeah, I agree. Unnecessary. Um, a little frustrating. I do. So they also have the Larry Nadine scene, and that's one that I think also suffers from what they've done to Nadine's character because they also didn't really set up any sort of chemistry, in my opinion, between her and Larry. Very little. Mm-hmm. So it felt out of the blue when she comes to him. She also like dreams about him momentarily um, earlier, and I, I, that felt completely out of the blue. Yeah. Um, and so his sort of rejection of her. Um, I don't know. It's just very different than it is in the book. Yeah. There is no Lucy character as well, Lucy Swan, who he's with in the book. Um, so that really changes the way Larry. The conflict uh, isn't there, yeah. Yeah, the conflict's different. So, uh, all of this is making me realize how much I think, like, even though they decided to do a miniseries, this needed to have been multiple seasons. It needed to have, like, I don't know if it's possible to have done it that way. Um, yeah. but but just like. There is a way to adapt Or it's weird this. that they reduced it from 10 episodes to nine because if anything, they needed more time. But Yeah, I don't know if it was COVID related or what, but it, like I would have loved to have seen the HBO like long form adaptation of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Season one is all the way up to form to, 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 to like the formation of the Boulder Free Zone. Something and then like everything that. that happens after that. Take your time, two. live with the characters, have them deal with the consequences of things that are going on instead of flying by everything. Um, yeah. And and then have the narrative run more normally, like it did more more, uh, you know, in line, like it did uh, narratively. Like, I yeah. think it helps the pacing. There's a lot of great character you know. arcs here that are underserved that you could have actually spent more time with. Yeah, and it could have been one of those things where people are looking at it and going like, "Oh wow, they even did even more with this person than we got in the book. Right. That's cool." Yeah, and instead they're doing less. You can elevate things. You can most, take most time to them. elevate. Yeah, and so yeah. I, I I am excited to watch more of the show. If that makes, you yeah. know, I feel like we were, there's a lot of stuff that we talked about. There are things that we liked, things we didn't like. Yeah. It's a mixed bag, but I'm excited to watch the rest of the show. And it's probably, I, we yeah. might be, I might be biased because of the fact that we, re- we were reading the book and the way that we cover these projects. Um, but ultimately, like, yeah, I do feel like it's sort of like, I, I just really wish that this was like the best show on TV right now. Yeah, um, I mean, which I wish so too. Um, one other thing I want to point out um, is the, and I know this is present in the source material, but it really stood out to me. The idea of a city being the place of sin and, you know, it's Las Vegas, but like it really it's like it's like it's like the liberals in the city, (laughs) the people who are, you know, sex positive, who are, you know, whatever that might be and being shown as being depraved and evil. And you set them against the good, wholesome, single family home living people in Boulder I don't know, man. It just it just rubs me the wrong way. Now that I'm a city dweller myself, it just I'm like I hate this thing in America, and it's a frustrating force. And I, you know, maybe it was less of a thing, um, you know, back in the day, and it was more novel for King to sort of set it up this way. But um, to me, it's playing into some of the worst elements of society, and. It was frustrating. I don't know. Don't like it. Deep reading of stuff, you're always going to find more than when you do sort of a surface level like entertainment read. And clearly that's what I did the first time because I think a lot of this is present in the book and it's probably going to frustrate me when we get there. I live in a city too. And like, I I don't know about you, but like I see myself as like a depraved, irredeemable, like (laughs) 
sex fiend. Uh, <laughs> Did you see us? We were in those little po- po- like orange pods back there, just like fucking away. Exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, it's unfortunate. I, it's a lot of you know. People like to put people in groups uh, in America, and I think yeah. around the world, and it's just like it continues to be. A it's thing. a frustrating it's, stereotype, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, but like you said, like I am, I'm interested to see where the show goes. But next week, we are actually going to be talking about the end of the book, and I'm hoping that that will sort of, I don't know, cleanse the palate a little bit, remind me of what I really like about the book, um, and then we'll come into the final episodes, and we'll get to see that new ending that Stephen King has promised in in the show. So, you know, I am really curious to see, you know, a final episode written by him. I'm really interested to see where it goes. Um, Hopefully you join us for the next two episodes we're going to do on The Stand. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever podcast app you use. iTunes is a great one. That's where we, uh, a lot of people look at the reviews on iTunes to judge whether or not they want to listen to something. So do it there. If you're interested in supporting us on Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash ink to film. We have a lot of different tiers. We put bonus episodes out monthly. We have like over 30 of them now. And we just started this. We have a new some new tiers for merch that we got. Um, our original artist, Natalie Metzger, she did a new commission for us and she created a new piece of art for us to put on uh, other merch. And it's it's really exciting. I think it looks great. And if you're interested in helping support the podcast, check those out as well. We also just released our most recent bonus episode on there, which is about the first three episodes of Snowpiercer. Uh, which is on HBO Max is how I watched it, but I know it's on Hulu and it's like a TNT show. Anyway, um, that's a fun show. And um, while not perfect, I think it has a lot going for it. So listen, if you wanted to hear our take on that, um, check out our Patreon. Make sure you connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those at ink to film Yeah, on Facebook, we have a group called the Council of Inklings. And if you wanted to join that, it's a good place to interact with us. Thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, that's going to be it for this week. We will be back with the book for all you book fans, finishing it out, give you all our thoughts on Stephen King's novel um, before we finish out the show. And until next time, thanks for listening. Bye.